and welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. It is wonderful to see you. Welcome to episode 44 of show that brings you an hour every week of geeky news, views and pop culture madness. And speaking of pop culture madness, we're going to start with a little rant. Uh, head of the station, the brilliant Andy Backhouse, uh, apparently quite likes it when I do this. I'm not quite sure how you guys feel about it. But I am feeling just a little bit strongly. So, have you seen the Ms. Marvel trailer for Disney Plus? Yes, I know, I'm talking about Disney Plus again. But what can I do? They keep doing things I have to report on. They are, at the moment, the epicentre of English language geekiness on screen. So, here we go. Now, Ms. Marvel. I've mentioned Ms. Marvel on the show before. But just in case people weren't paying attention... Uh, or perhaps you're new. Hello, welcome. Yes, it is always like this. Sorry. Miss um, Marvel is a character with quite a long history as a name in Marvel Comics, but perhaps a shorter history as the character she currently is. Allow me to explain. A long time ago, there was a character called Captain Marvel. There still is, but it's not the same person. And that's important. Captain Marvel was Marvel. He was a Kree warrior on Earth doing superhero-y stuff. And then there was an accident and he died. It was a big thing. He's one of the very few Marvel characters that have died, that have stayed dead. And I think he's been dead for so long now that he actually will maybe be the only Marvel character who ever stays dead. Anyway, he's gone. But he had an assistant called Carol Danvers. and. She kind of got powers because of something that happened as a result of something that he did. And I'm not going to go into more detail than that. Just Carol Danvers got powers and she became Ms. Marvel. And yeah, for a bit, she was problematically costumed. Shall we put it like that? She started out in basically a one piece bathing suit. I think we can call it that, which given the type of costumes that female superheroes tend to get, was not that bad. But as time went on, her bathing suit got smaller and smaller and smaller until she was fighting crime in a bikini. Now, I don't particularly have a big issue with that. Maybe it was hot. But the problem was that it kind of looked ridiculous and not really suitable attire for work. Uh, so... As a character, I kind of get the feeling that for a long time she was not taken that seriously. And then something happened. Carol Danvers, who, let's be clear, was um, a ranking US Air Force officer. I mean, she was not just some woman who did, was an assistant. She was a ranking Air Force officer. And in the 2000s, Jamie McKelvey redesigned her costume, put her in what is effectively a flight suit uh, in the blue and red colours that had always been them as Marvel colours. And she changed her name to Captain Marvel and became the Captain Marvel that you will recognise if you've seen the film. Which threw in some nods to the history from the comic um, that you know, she got her powers from an accident involving Marvel, although Marvel in the movie is a woman. That doesn't matter. You can gender swap that kind of thing. It wasn't important. And for a bit, there was no Ms. Marvel. And then came G. Willow Wilson, 
an absolutely brilliant writer working with a couple of Marvel editors uh, called uh, Sana Amanat, and I'm sorry if I've got that wrong, and Stephen Wacker, uh, alongside the writists Adrian Alfona and Jamie McKelvey again. They created a new Ms. Marvel, the character of Kamala Khan. Uh, Kamala Khan is, in the comics at least, an inhuman, which means she's from the bloodline of a group of humans who were given alien DNA millennia ago and who have powers that are activated by something called the Terrigen Mist. You don't need to get involved in that. It's just another way of giving people powers without making them X-Men, basically. And Kamala Khan, a Pakistani-American, a practicing Muslim from Jersey City in New Jersey, develops shape-shifting abilities and can stretch herself, a process she calls embiggening, to make herself big. She can make her fist big so she can punch you with a fist the size of a small car. You know, that kind of thing. Now, Kamala Khan, very impressed by Captain Marvel. So she adopts the name Ms. Marvel. Uh, and in what I think was a brilliant nod to the history of Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan selects a superhero costume which is based on a burkini. Now, if you don't know what a burkini is, um, they're bound in France. It's swimwear, which is compliant with um, Muslim codes of modesty. And that's a nice nod to the heritage, not just of Kamala Khan, but also to the bikini days of Carol Danvers, without actually putting a teenager in a bikini in a comic, because that would be crass for all kinds of reasons, even if it wasn't a Muslim teenager. Uh, you know, we, we do not make teenagers sexy in comics. It's not a good thing. Now, Ms. Marvel has many firsts to her name. She was the first Muslim superhero in Marvel Comics. She was the first Muslim superhero to get her own title at Marvel, Marvel Comics. Uh, she was created, at least in part, she was co-created uh, by a writer who is herself um, a Muslim convert. She's a practicing Muslim, G. Will G. Willow Wilson. You get cultural beats that are correct. Uh, and without sort of people from outside that culture making assumptions, which is, again, good. And I need to be clear, I love this character. I think she's amazing. She's fun. She's There's wit in the stories. Um, she's dealing with all of the issues that teenage superheroes have to deal with, you know, keeping her identity secret from her parents, uh, explaining why she wasn't at, at, at school on a particular time when she was out doing superhero stuff all of that stuff that we've seen Peter Parker and the like have to deal with she has to deal with all of that um, she has to deal with all the adolescent stuff that teenage heroes have to deal with um, whether she's kissed a boy or not all of that stuff uh, and it's done with so far at least I mean I, I, I imagine at some point we get a bad Ms. Marvel comic but so far at least it's always been written with great subtlety and great wit and great care and Ms. Marvel has always been fun. And with all of that going on, it is unsurprising that the character is getting a show at Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus is a company that has a very wide audience, and a teen show is something that they clearly need. And this is actually part of the success of the approach of the Marvel Universe. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has stopped making superhero films. It stopped making superhero films ages ago. What it now does is make films from all sorts of genre that happen to have superheroes in them. So, for example, uh, Ant-Man, heist movie. Uh, you've got uh, 
Captain America, the Winter Soldier, espionage movie. You've got Captain America, the first Avenger, war movie. You've got... And the vibe I get off of the trailer that I've seen so far for Ms. Marvel is this is Marvel does a tea movie. It's a John Howard movie. Um, I, I'm getting the same vibe I get from the high school bits of the Spider-Man movies, but in a much more concentrated form. And as a child of the 80s who grew up on John Howard movies, I am here for that. But, of course, it's a geeky thing, and it's on the internet, so obviously lots of people are cross. And why are people cross this time? Well, for once, they can't be cross because the character's female, because the character's always been female, and they can't be cross because it's a character of colour, because she was created to be a character of colour. So, so far, so good. They're still cross. There are still people who are cross, and they're cross because it appears from the trailer that Kamala Khan's powers have been changed. And there are people who are furious about that. And I'm going to be honest, I was a little bit miffed when I found out that that's what they were doing, because I've always taken the view, and I think I still do take the view. What is the point of taking a character that already exists and changing it beyond recognition for the on-screen adaption? You might as well create a new character. And yeah, yeah, for the most part, that is my position. But here, here I think it isn't. And this is why. Now, there are people who say, oh, well, they've obviously done that because it's too expensive in CGI to do the embiggening special effects. I actually doubt that's true. I'm not sure that's why they've done it. I do think that something that looks really cool in a comic, and Ms. Marvel's embiggening power does look really cool in the comic, may not translate all that well to the screen. And I wonder if somebody at the studio took a look at early special effects of the actual embiggening thing and thought, oh, now that looks ridiculous, and thought about how they could change it to keep with the spirit of the comic powers, but just make them look cooler for TV. And the sort of energy-looking powers that she seems to be using in the trailer, they that, that I do think looks cool on TV. So there's that. There's also the fact that so many comics fans forget. Nobody reads the comic. In the grand scheme of things, and it pained, pains me to say this, I'm a comics retailer, but in the grand scheme of things, compared to the number of people who are going to see the show, nobody reads the comics. Okay, The comic sells maybe tens of thousands of copies. The TV show is going to be seen by literally millions of people. And so at that point, we have a genuine debate about what is the purest version of that calendar character, what is the most accurate version of that character. Is it the original version or is it the one that most people recognise? We can have this discussion about anything in the MCU, to be honest. And yeah, you know, there's a purist bit of me that says, no, the character is the character. They were created by people who wanted this. So respect it. But there's part of me that thinks, yeah, but does it work? Is it a good story? And if it's a good story, does it matter if it's different from the comics? 
if he captures the spirit of the comics, if the essential character of the character is maintained. And Ms. Marvel, like most superheroes, is more than just her powers. Now, if they keep the personality of, of Kamala Khan and just tweak the powers a little bit, is that a problem? For me, not if it's good. And I'm a little bit bemused, to be honest, by the howls of protest I'm seeing on some of the parts of the online space. I think it's also worth mentioning that there's always been a, ca a connection between Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel. And again, from the trailer, it looks to me as though Ms. Marvel's powers are similar in appearance to Captain Marvel's powers. Now, that also makes a deal of sense. The two names are clearly very similar. The characters are historically linked. And from a cinematic point of view, therefore, it makes a deal of sense that the powers might have some kind of connection. Now, that isn't how it's done in the comics. But the other issue is, as I said, Kamala Khan is an inhuman. Now, there was a time when Marvel were really bigging up the inhumans because they didn't have the film rights to the X-Men and the Inhumans are kind of like mutants, but not. So they were big enough, the Inhumans. I think their idea was that they would then make films about the Inhumans to rival the X-Men. And, you know, that would be the, their solution to the fact that they couldn't make films about Professor Xavier's bunch. That's changed now. Disney owned Fox, Disney owned Marvel. Fox has the rights to the X-Men. Suddenly the problem's gone away. Suddenly there can be X-Men in the MCU. So they don't need the Inhumans anymore. And with apologies to Jack Kirby, who created the Inhumans, the X-Men is the brand people recognise. So they now need another way to explain Kamala's powers. If we don't have Inhumans in the MCU, then getting her powers from Captain Marvel makes more sense. The only other thing they can do, perhaps, to explain it is to make her a mutant. But at the moment, although I have no doubt that they're coming, check out the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, although I'm not convinced that that's who we're supposed to think it is. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I have talked about this in a previous episode, so I won't go into it here. There are no mutants in the MCU at the moment. As I say, I'm sure they're coming, but they're not here yet. So what do you do? Do you bring the mutants in before you're ready for them? Do you not explain Kamala's powers? It's an option, but not one that people go for. Or do you just go, oh, look, she's got some powers from Captain Marvel. Quick cameo from Brie Larson. Bob's your dog. That to me seems like what's going on here. And from a, a creative point of view, I think it makes sense. Of course, it might not work. Of course, it might be awful. And if it is, I'll be sad. But they can always change their mind. One of the joys of a fictional character is if you change something, you can change it back. It, it, it's not beyond the realm of possibilities that if Ms. Marvel's powers don't impress the audience in season one, they can have something happen at the start of season two that makes her powers comics accurate. That's fine. That can be done. So I think what I'm saying, I, I suppose I've said this before in different ways. Don't get upset about things not being accurate to the original source material until you've seen what they've actually done with it. If it sucks, 
then yeah, be annoyed and maybe don't watch it. But it might be good. It might be something that you would never have thought of. And that's great because that means you won't know what's coming. And surely that's more entertaining. So I think what I'm saying to the bit of the internet that's really cross is just have a Coke and a smile and sit back down and wait and see. You can be cross later if there's actually a reason to be. But for now, just let people enjoy things. And speaking of enjoying things, not long now until Moon Knight. It's a couple of weeks. Just a couple of weeks before we find out what the justification for that awful, awful, awful British accent Oscar Isaacs is doing in the trailer might be. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I, honestly, the number of British people who've done terrible American accents in films, I think that's a suitable and a justified retaliation. But I'm not going to say anything else about Moon Knight just yet. I'm going to wait until it's aired. And then not only am I going to do the same thing that we did with The Book of Boba Fett, in that I am going to do a review of each episode, but a week after it drops, so that people have a chance to have actually seen it. But also, I'm going to use it as a springboard, I think, to talk about the way mental health is projected and presented in popular culture, because I have some strong... Of course I have some strong feelings about this. I've got strong feelings about everything, it would appear. Um, so I'm hoping to, that this won't be a bunch of extended boring preachy parts, but. I think it is something we should discuss. So um, I'm hoping to be able to get some other people on to discuss that with me rather than just have me pontificating from my own subjective point of view. So that'll be something to look forward to. And uh, as will Moon Knight, which uh, drops on the 30th of March on Disney Plus. So a note in your diaries if you subscribe to the House of Mouse. But is there anything happening in geek and popular culture that isn't to do with Disney? Surely, surely there must be. Well, yes. Let's move from the New York of Marvel Comics to the West Coast of DC Comics with a story that has literally just dropped as I'm recording this and it's both completely pointless and utterly adorable. And also a little bit surprising because a world record that it never occurred to me could possibly exist, does exist, and has been broken. This, my friends, is the news, that a seven-year-old has broken the world record for naming the most DC characters in one minute. I know. Just pause to appreciate the utter adorability of that. So, details. Well, DC has a vast universe of characters. We know this. The big three, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. But then there's the Flash, there's Aquaman, and that's just the Justice League. There's then Nightwing, half a dozen Robins, and all kinds of obscure characters that you've probably never heard of. And honestly, after 30 years of reading comics, there are some characters in the DC Universe that I probably haven't heard of. Enter then our hero. Nadhish V.B., a seven-year-old child actor from the uh, Tamil Nadu region in India, broke the world record by naming 60 DC characters in 60 seconds. This breaks the previous record of 52 characters in one minute by, well, do the maths, eight characters. And I am going to question 
whether it's possible to ever beat this record, how on earth do you speak more quickly than that? So, apparently, according to um, to Jung Niddish, he actually wanted to do this with Marvel characters because he's a big Spider-Man fan. But apparently, all his friends prefer DC, so he went with that. Uh, he trained. He consciously learned these names. This, this is not like background knowledge that was in his head. He actually trained for this. Um, and he set the record and was really happy. He describes it as a great experience. Um, his mother, um, and, and obviously I've got this quote in writing, but I'm, I'm interpreting a little bit of a weary sigh behind this. His mother says um, he likes to watch cartoons and paste pictures of his favourite comic characters on the wall. And yeah, yeah, I bet he does. I bet he does. Uh, but there's also perhaps a suggestion of the pushy parent of the child actor because um, she does also go on to say that when they discovered this interest, they thought, why not try a record on it? Which is not the reaction of most parents. I'm just going to throw that out there. This is not a criticism. It's an observation. Um, and she does say that as you know, during the coaching for this feat of memory, um, his parents have realised that uh, Nidish does have great memory ability which you know is a useful nice life skill to know that you've got um just for the record uh, clearly 60 is is a uh, a total that's possible to beat because the record for most marvel characters identified in a minute is held by somebody called laura noonan of sydney in australia who got and um, just again i am boggling my mind just thinking at the speed at which they must have been talking 88 characters in one minute. 88! 88 characters in a minute! My voice has gone high-pitched. I'm so surprised. Of course, again, as is always the case with these kinds of world records, it's a bit of fun in terms of reporting. It's a nice bit of publicity for a young child actor. I don't know the, 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 the nature of Laura Noonan, whether she's an actor herself or just a massive Marvel fan or whether there was a particular reason for going for the record. But what it always makes me think when we come across records like this is, um, why is this a thing? Seriously? But okay, if it makes people happy. And uh, for the record, I tried doing this. I couldn't name 60 DC characters in considerably more than a minute. I kept getting stuck. I think possibly, if any of you fancy having a go at this, the trick might be to look at the Legion of Superheroes, which has a huge roster. Uh, and they're all called something like Lightning Lad, which might be quite quick and easy to say. So, you know, I think it also perhaps does underlines the vast amount of, of intellectual property that companies like Marvel and DC have to draw upon. So if you're worried about your superhero TV shows going away anytime soon because people have run out of characters, relax. You will lose interest before they run out of stories to tell you. Trust me on that. Apart from everything else, they have been making stories for an awfully long time. Let's look back to the 30th of March, 1939. Lots of what's happening on the 30th of March, 1939. Quite a lot of it bad. But I want to focus 
on something wonderful that happened on March the 30th, 1939, that has gone on to cause something mystifying to happen in the last couple of weeks. Because on the 30th of March, 1939, Detective Comics issue 27 was published by a company that would one day become known as DC Comics. Now, I'm not quite sure what they were calling themselves at the time. I think they might have been calling the company at that point Detective Comics, because that's what the DC in DC Comics actually stands for. And yes, I'm aware that does mean that technically DC Comics is called Detective Comics Comics. What can I tell you? But Detective Comics number 27 was special. I don't think anybody really knew it at the time, but it was. Because Detective Comics number 27 was the first appearance of Batman. Just to clear something up, Superman predates Batman by a little while. But Detective Comics as a publication is older than Action Comics, just because Detective Comics got going and featured other stories before it started featuring Batman. It was an anthology comic. Action Comics launched with Action Comics number one with Superman already as its main character. So DC uh, Detective Comics has been around longer. Superman's been around longer than Batman, though. Glad we cleared that up. Have we cleared that up? I think what I just said made sense. Anyway, Batman went on to be something of a big deal. You may have heard of him. I understand they've made a couple of motion pictures featuring Batman. Perhaps there might be one out now. Book your tickets at the Everyman Cinema if you happen to be around Harrogate. Other cinemas are available. Um, but, you know, in all seriousness, Batman went on to be a really big deal. He is the reason the Detective Comics is still in print. Detective Comics, I think, is the longest running American comic publication. It may be the longest running comic publication in the world. They've basically not really missed a beat since 1939. And um, yeah, that's pretty impressive. In fact, no, they've not missed a, missed a beat since 1938, I don't think. And they're now on issue 1058 of Detective Comics, I think. It's difficult to tell with comics numbering for all sorts of reasons. I will probably moan about it at a later date. But anyway, Detective Comics, issue 27, was published March 30th, 1939. And because it's the first appearance of one of the most iconic characters of all time, it's kind of sought after. And to be frank, there are not many copies about. Uh, just as there are not many copies of Action Comics in issue one, uh, which is the first appearance of Superman, or Amazing Fantasy 15, which is the first appearance of Spider-Man, um, there just aren't very many. The same goes for the first appearance of Captain America and all of that kind of stuff. Because these days, if you publish an important comic, thousands of copies will survive because people like me collect them and carefully put them in plastic bags that are with acid-free boards to make sure that nothing gets crushed or crumpled or creased. That was not the attitude in the old days. In the old days, a kid would buy a comic or perhaps have a comic bought for them, and they would roll it up, stick it in the back pocket of their jeans, cycle to their friend's house, perhaps have a mock sword fight with it. Uh, they'd swap it. They might drop it in a puddle. And ultimately, once they'd read it and got bored with it, they'd chuck it away. The whole point of comics in the old days was that they were disposable. They were cheap, disposable entertainment. That is why they took off so much in the Second World War. 
because people could take them to their army bases and even to the front and they could screw you know scrunch them up fold them up slip them in the back of their backpack they didn't take up very much space and when you were done you gave it to a buddy or you chucked it away or you left it behind when you you know went to advance or whatever and so copies simply don't survive that means that copies of these really old absolute key issues in comics history are incredibly expensive as an example in 2020, a copy of Detective Comics issue 27, in reasonable condition, sold at auction for $1.5 million. That's $1.5 million. That is a lot of money for a comic. I'm going to be honest. If I had that kind of spare change, I might consider buying that. Because it is a piece of history. It's a piece of culture that I personally am passionate about. And so I get that people want to own a piece of that history. Personally, 1.5 million is a lot of money. You could do a lot of good with 1.5 million. But but I can see it. I can see it. I can see that if I was that kind of crazy rich, I might actually even do it. Uh, there are very few copies around. Um, the Comics Grading Company, uh, known as CGC, which I believe stands just for Comics Grading Company, um, says that only 36 copies of Detective Comics have been submitted to it for grading. And if you're going to send a comic to auction and want to make a bunch of money off it, a CGC grading is actually quite important. It is an independent assessment of the condition of your comic. CGC is kind of the industry standard. I have all kinds of problems with them, which I may go into at some later date. I personally do not sell in my store CGC graded comics. Uh, cynics might say that's because I can't afford to, but there is actually a point of principle there, but we'll get into that at a later date. Uh, so 36, the highest grade that it could that it has given to a copy of detective comics 27 is 9.2 out of 10 so um that's you know that's a very good condition comic there is only one of those in existence i suspect that if it came up for auction would go for more than 1.5 million uh, although in today's market who can say uh, a full tank of fuel might be more expensive at the moment, so there's that. I am not going to talk to you about an auction of one of those comics, though. I want to talk to you about an auction of a part of a copy of Detective Comics number 27 that has been graded at a 0.1 by CGC. It's a 0.1 because it's not a full issue. In fact, it is the back cover of Detective Comics 27 and about a third of that back cover is also missing. So not only is it not a full comic, it's, the, it's a page from a comic, it's the back cover, and it's not even a complete back page. 
that has sold at auction in the last few weeks for $2,600. Now, $2,600 is a long way from being 1.5 million. But this is not the full comic. This is a part of the comic that contains specifically zero story. There are no pictures of Batman on this part of the comic. There is an advertisement for a mistoplane uh, and for a boomerang. Uh, for, there looks to be a, a printing press, although most of the advert's been ripped. Uh, there is a repeating slingshot, jujitsu guidance, um, a world mic. I'm looking at a fairly low resolution image here, so I can't read all of the ads. But if you've, re if you've read old comics, you will remember the pages of classified ads you used to get, where they would squeeze lots of tiny adverts for the most bizarre stuff. It, this is that. So it's not a page of story. It's a page of adverts. And it's sold for $2,600. Now, I have my issues with people who might spend $1.5 for a complete comic in good condition, if it's very, very, very rare. It's no more ridiculous than spending a lot of money on a piece of art, for instance. That's what you're into. You do you. I can see that I might do that. I've got much more of a problem with spending this much smaller amount on this. It's a piece of a page. And so I have to categorise the person who purchased this as having more money than sense. Links to the story uh, at comicbook.com in the show notes. Uh, you can take a look at a picture of it yourself if you follow the link. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Weird one. Very weird one. But, you see, that then raises another question. Objectively, this thing is worthless. But it is a part of Detective Comics 27, which is an important thing to many of us. And that then begs the question, if I owned it, what would I do with it? Any sensible person, any sensible person who was in possession of a torn up scrap of an old comic that is objectively useless, that contains no story, contains no pictures of the characters that are involved, does not actually feature the name of the comic it's from, even. Objectively, the sensible thing to do with that is to throw it away. And I'm sitting here at my dining room table as I record this, uh, looking at the picture of this back cover um, with this advert for a joy buzzer and um, adverts for a book about on how to throw your voice and be a ventriloquist. Um, a little advert for sports pins and for, for lapel and watch chains. Uh, itching and sneezing powder advert. An electric baseball game. A crystal radio for 25 cents. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I couldn't throw this away if I owned this. I couldn't. I couldn't throw it away. And my wife's out. She's at work. She's got a proper job. Um, but if she was hearing me say this, she would now be nodding her head and suggesting that this explains the state of our attic. And that's raising a question again in my mind about the nature of geeks and our capacity for hoarding. I've got a lot of stuff. 
how much of it is of the quality of this ripped page that I'm keeping anyway because it it's important to me in some way and I'm just thinking of what is in the comics boxes in my attic and most of them are you know complete comics in very good condition I'm careful with my collection but I have kept an awful lot of tap maybe I need to have a think about that but one thing's for certain whatever grade it got from the CGC Whilst I wouldn't throw this back cover from Detective Comics 27 away, I very definitely wouldn't give you $2.6 for it, let alone $2,600. It, nah, I, I worry about people when they do things like this. So, yeah. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Now, at, at this point, over halfway through the show, you might be beginning to wonder why you've not heard a jingle yet and what's happened to the space and science news. And the honest answer is there's so much space and science news that's crossed my desk this week that I haven't had time to look at it all. And so, although I know there is a wealth of news to bring you, I don't currently know what it is. What can I tell you? It's been busy. I normally do my um, research for the science and space segments on a Monday. And this Monday, I was busy. I'll tell you why later. So I didn't have time to get it done. I meant to do it on Tuesday. Stuff happened. And so, yeah, I haven't done the reading. So I'm not just going to, you know, bluff it and try and do it by reading off the website as I'm going. I will bring you a double dose of science and space next week, probably. But I do want to segue just a little bit into why I was busy on Monday. This is sort of advertising a bit, but it's not something I make money off, so I feel comfortable doing it. Uh, and I'm going to throw it on to the Geek Community Notice Board, which I really must get a jingle sorted out for. But anyway, no time for that now. I was busy on Monday because I spent the morning at a primary school, which I'm not going to name because I haven't asked permission. I am, by training, a teacher, not a primary school teacher. Small children terrify me. But I was there at the invitation of a primary school teacher who wanted me to spend a morning with her class teaching them about how to create comics characters and how to make comics. And I was more than happy to do that. It's something that pre-pandemic I used to do a lot. Back in the before times, I had a thing where I would go into secondary schools and primary schools uh, lunch clubs, after school clubs, libraries, and introduce kids to the, the, the scope and the brilliance of comics and what the medium can be used to do. And I absolutely loved doing it. I left teaching in 2016 and I kind of miss it. And the opportunity to go back and do the fun stuff is one that I greatly appreciate. Why am I telling you this? Um, well, some of you are probably thinking that I'm virtue signaling and telling you this because I want to tell you that I did a good thing. And uh, as far as I know, the kids enjoyed it. So yeah, maybe I'm doing that a little bit. But actually what I'm doing is suggesting that if you know somebody who goes to a school and you think that school might quite enjoy having somebody come in and do a little workshop, with their kids, maybe as part of a lesson, maybe as part of uh, a lunchtime club 
or an after-school club. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk is the place to go. Get in touch. Tell me. And I will do my best to come and visit that school. This is not me drumming up business. I never charge for the first visit I make to a school. If subsequently a school wants to do a big project that involves comics and they want me to go in a lot, then I might have to charge for my time. Uh, But generally speaking, to go in and just do a session, uh, an introductory thing to get something started, I'm more than happy to do that for free. That's not even altruism. I might get some customers out of it. But it's also just because I love doing it. So bear that in mind. Uh, Next time you're talking to your kid's teacher, uh, if you happen to know a school librarian or a head of English or just an English teacher, mention Destination Venus Education Outreach Programme to them. Uh, We don't have a section about it on the website yet. I should probably do something about that. But just email us info at destinationvenus.co.uk and I will be happy to uh, talk anybody through what it is I can do. There are many things I can do. Uh, So just, you know, We'll, we'll, we'll do the thing that fits the best. I can probably even provide testimonials if you want. And so I would just like to thank uh, my uh, primary school teaching friend, who, again, I don't have permission to name, so I won't, and her wonderful class. I had an absolutely stonking time on Monday morning. I haven't enjoyed myself that much in ages, and I hope to do it again soon. Now, what else is on the Geek Community Core board? Well, Geek Pub quiz teams assemble! After the last month's stalled attempt to get the thing back on the road because of illness, the Geek Pub Quiz is officially back this Sunday, March the 20th, at Major Tom's Social. Half past seven, get your team together, get down there. It's going to be an awesome night. The Geek Pub Quiz has been at the very centre of Harrogate geek culture for years now. It disappeared just before the pandemic and Obviously, it was then gone for the whole of the lockdowns, but it is coming back. And as someone who has spent many happy Sunday evenings, not usually winning at the Geek Pub Quiz, I can attest it is a brilliant way to spend your Sunday night. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. More information at their Facebook page. I will try to remember to stick a link to that in their show notes. Um, Show notes, obviously at info at destinationvenus.co.uk. While we're at it, I also need to point you at the secret lair, which is the place to go in Harrogate if you want to start getting seriously into tabletop role-playing games. They've got all the stuff, they've got all the rules, they've got experienced dungeon masters, everything you could possibly want to get into the brilliant, amazing, immersive world of tabletop role-playing games. Check them out and see if you can find the secret lair. And if you have a geeky event, a geeky thing that you would like people to know about, just shoot me a message, info at destinationvenus.co.uk. I would be happy to plug your geeky thing. There is no charge for this service. I just want to spread the geek around a little bit. And speaking of which, um, maybe it's time for the one jingle I'm using this week. Yes, it is time to take a look at... What's good on the rack at Destination Venus this week? And it's a fairly small rack this week, if I'm honest. Uh, I do need, first of all, make a bit of a fuss about slumber. This is 
an ongoing comic, which is a rare thing these days. A new ongoing comic from Image. Normally, Image these days tends to lean much more towards limited series and that kind of thing. But Slumber is intended to be an ongoing, which means it will be published monthly for as long as people read it. And it features a character called Stetson. Now, Stetson is a nightmare hunter. A detective of dreams, if you will. And she runs a fairly down-at-heel, back-alley business, kind of like a shady Philip Marlowe-style private eye business, where she helps her clients get some sleep at night by invading their dreams and killing their nightmares. But Stetson has a past, and when that past comes back to haunt her, she has to track down a literal living nightmare, a serial killer's that murders people in their sleep. This is a gorgeous bit of fantasy horror uh, from writer Tyler Burton-Smith uh, and an up-and-coming artist whose work I'm not familiar with, but which I very much like, called Vanessa Cardinale. Um, it's, a, it's a good style for the subject matter, I think. It's a little bit loose. It's a little bit cartoony. It's a little bit anarchic. But it's tremendously emotive and it really graphically draws you into the narrative. And I am not just impressed, but I'm enthralled by it. It's a really interesting piece of work in that I've got no idea where this is going. And you know, I've been around comics and storytelling for a long time now. I normally have some kind of idea. I'm occasionally wrong when I have those ideas. But in this instance, I cannot make any prediction with any confidence about this. It's glorious. So that is Slumber, issue one from Image Comics, written by Tyler Burton-Smith, illustrated by Vanessa Cardinale, coloured by Simon Robbins. Um, with lettering by Steve Wands and edited by the brilliant Heather Antos. So uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Available now, it's £3.50 at Destination Venus uh, or indeed at all good comic shops because good comic shops that aren't us also exist. And now on to the very modestly titled World's Finest. Well, technically it's Batman Superman World's Finest issue one. Um, and this is a title that crops up occasionally from DC. There have been many runs of World's Finest. And World's Finest concentrates on two of the world's finest people, or at least two of the DCU's finest people. They are the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel, Batman and Superman. They are the two first superheroes and the finest superheroes that the world has ever known. In the DC Universe, at least. Marvel, I'm sure, would argue about that. And they are drawn together again for a new run, written by Mark Wade, who is a great writer. In the not-too-distant past, Superman's powers are supercharged from a devastating attack by the villain Metallo. And the only ally that this now ultra-powerful Man of Steel can turn to in his turbulent hour of need is the Batman. After a nearly fatal burst of power drives Bruce Wayne to his own extreme measures to help his friends, enlisting none other than the Doom Patrol for aid, 
It's the world's greatest superheroes from the world's greatest comic book talent in an epic comic book experience that kicks off the next big event at the DCU. It's going to be amazing. It's a fantastic debut issue. And I have to say that World's Finest has always been a hyperbolic title, but it's really living up to the name. This is a fine, fine comic. Mark Wade is a writer that I completely trust. I don't think I've ever known him put a foot wrong. Uh, he's joined by Dan Mora on art, who has produced gloriously crisp, really fine outlines, uh, beautifully expressive. And uh, we've got colours by Tamara Bon Bonvillain, who, again, has done an amazing job bringing Mora's line work to vivid, glorious life with not necessarily an overly bright colour palette, but one which absolutely suits the mood. Uh, then we've got um, some really quite fetching letters uh, from Aditya Bidikar. And yes, I am reading that off the uh, credits in the comic, and I'm sure I've got that wrong. Uh, it's just it's just great. It's an absolutely wonderful comic. This is what DC superheroes should be all about. It's it's powerful, it's innovative, it's action-packed, it's dynamic, it's a great read. And what more can we ask for from our comics than that? Really is, truly, fan-flipping-tastic. And that's it, I think. As I said, it's quite a small rack this week. So well, there are not that many issue ones and things to highlight. So we will move on. And that is just about it for this week. I have no time to squeeze in science and um, space stuff this week, even if I'd read up on it. So I guess I picked a good week to not be ready to do the reading. There you go. All works out. Before we finish, I do actually want to recommend some podcasts. I do this occasionally. I keep meaning to do it more often. If you've ever seen me in real life, it's extremely unlikely you've seen me without a set of headphones around my neck. And a lot of people seem to think that I'm a massive music fan. I'm not. I rarely listen to music. If I've got my headphones on, I'm listening to a podcast of some kind. Sometimes it's a fiction sort of story podcast. Sometimes it's a geeky pop culture discussion podcast. Sometimes it's true crime, sometimes it's science, but I'm usually listening to something. And there are a couple that I really want to bring to your attention. The first two I have brought to your attention before, so I'm not going to say much about them. They are Radio Free Scaro and Verity. These are, to, for my way of thinking, the two best podcasts about Doctor Who that currently exist. Radio Free Scaro is a bunch of Canadian friends talking about Doctor Who, talking about Doctor Who news, reviewing episodes of Doctor Who, uh, looking into the people who've written Doctor Who or directed Doctor Who. You get the thing. It's very Doctor Who focused. And uh, Verity is kind of Radio Free Scaro adjacent. It started after Radio Free Scaro. Uh, and a couple of the people who are involved in Verity uh, are in some way in relationships with some of the people what do Radio Free Scaro. And 
you know, they make reference to that occasionally. There are occasionally crossovers and stuff. Verity is different, though, because Verity is named for Verity Lambert, the woman who was the first producer on Doctor Who way back in 1963. And it's made up of a rotating roster of women from around the world who love Doctor Who. They've got contributors in, in the USA, in Canada, in Scotland, in Tasmania, of all places. And they take a slightly different approach to discussing Doctor Who. Each year, they generally have a theme that they stick to. Uh, and of course, if there is Doctor Who airing at the time, they also discuss that. They are in both incredibly passionate, enthusiastic, intelligent and knowledgeable podcasts. And so if you're a Doctor Who fan, you should probably take a listen. If you're not a Doctor Who fan, definitely don't. I also want to recommend Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, which is a podcast sequel to the TV series Orphan Black, which I am a huge fan of and which we've never actually done an episode on. I really need to do an episode about Orphan Black. It was a wonderful sci-fi TV show. Uh, initially started uh, on BBC Three in the UK uh, and then was unceremoniously dumped by the BBC and picked up by Netflix. So thanks, Netflix, who finished off the story that the BBC show, I think it was a co-production between BBC America and the BBC. But anyway, it, it finishes off the story that that show set, set out to tell. The sequel is an audio narrative uh, and there are two seasons of it now. Both feature both seasons of the podcast feature Tatiana Maslani, who was the central character in the show. She plays lots of clones. The second season got even better because it brought in other actors from the original show to do voice work, which gives the whole production a much more audio dramary feel to it. And it takes the story of the clones, who are the central figures in the Orphan Black TV show, into the future. They thought they'd resolved their issues. They thought they knew who they were, how they came to be, and what their place in the world was. And it turns out that they are wrong. And the podcast over two seasons so far has dealt with the consequences of that. And what happens when the world finds out that there are clones among us? Really good stuff. Um, the whole thing hangs on the multitude of performances by Tatiana Maslany. It was impressive to me that Tatiana Maslany could play so many different characters in the TV show where they had the advantage of being able to change her look as well as the voice that she does because all of her clones sound different. Obviously, in the podcast, all she's got is her voice and yet I can still tell without being told which of the clones is speaking. That is voice acting talent, my friends. And you owe it to yourself to give it a listen. If you haven't watched the TV show, it is still available on Netflix. And if you have access to Netflix and you haven't seen the TV show, I can only stress that you are missing out massively. Orphan Black was a stunning piece of work. And you deserve to enjoy it. And you deserve to enjoy the podcast sequel. So I commend that to you. And I also would just very quickly like to plug Planetary Radio which is the official podcast of the Planetary Society. Uh, Planetary Radio drops every week with all kinds of news about space and space science and what the Planetary Society is doing 
to help forward humanity's expansion into space. And then once a month, they have something called the Space Policy Edition, which really gets into the nuts and bolts of what the politics and the policy decisions that are made by the US government and by NASA are. Obviously, the Planetary Society is a American organization, so it focuses on American stuff for the policy stuff. Uh, the weekly show, though, looks at advances in space science from around the world. It's utterly fascinating. It's, it's authoritative. It's informative, uh, but it's not too dry. So it's accessible to people, even if you, you know, you're you not massive space geeks. It might actually turn you into massive space geeks. So be aware of that. And then ah, just one more, just one more. I'd like to give a bit of a shout out to Ridiculous Crime. Now, this is kind of a spin-off from Ridiculous History and Ridiculous Romance, which are two podcasts that are also pretty good. Ridiculous Crime is a true crime podcast, which focuses on the stupider side of criminal activity from around the world. Um, a lot of true crime tends to be quite voyeuristic and quite grim in that, you know, it's, it's looking at, in depth into murders and stuff. Ridiculous crime avoids that. Uh, they say correctly that there is nothing funny about murder. And so they're 99% murder free. Instead, uh, I think their opening episode was um, the teenager who broke into a, a car showroom to steal Guy Fieri's Lamborghini. Uh, you may not be familiar with Guy Fieri. He's very big in America. He's a TV cook, is what you need to know. They focus on stuff that will make you marvel and make you laugh and make you wonder what the world's coming to a little bit. And truly, hugely, hugely entertaining stuff. Cannot recommend it highly enough. So if you're not listening to those already, I suggest you give them a try. And I'm only scratching the surface of what is out there. So you might want to jump onto the podcatcher of your choice and see what you can find. If you've got any tips for things you think I should be listening to, hit me up. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. And of course, for your listening pleasure, we also have the whole of Harrogate Community Radio, which is, if you're not inside Harrogate, available online. So you can check that out too. Links in the show notes for our international listeners in podcast land. For now, though, that's it for the show. We will be back next week. I'm not promising you interviews and stuff, although I hope to have some. But we will have the return of the space and the science segments and a whole bunch of other geeky stuff. Geeking with Destination Venus is a copyright feature of Venus Rising Media, engineered here in Harrogate by me. We'll be back next week. Until then, be kind to yourself. Be kind to absolutely everybody else. Stay safe. Stay geeky. Until the next time, we gather and huddle around our listening devices to take shelter from the harshness of reality and the darkness of the real world by sharing in our joys and in our passions, trying to make the world a better place. One comic, one movie, one TV show at a time. We'll see you next time when we get together to do just that and go geeking. Take care. <laughs>